Hello, everybody. It's good to see you, and it's good to be here. Um, before I start, I just wanted to explain what happened last week, because a lot of people were confused. Why did that huge man, who happens to be African-American, stand up here and give that announcement? And so I just wanted to really briefly explain. He was part of the Synod, which is uh, mediating our separation from the PCUSA, but that has to happen with our presbytery. So if that's confusing, then it's, uh, I can show you kind of like in umbrellas. PCUSA, inside PCUSA, there's synods. But inside the synod, there's a presbytery. Inside presbyteries, there's a church. So we are separating, but because of the whole issue, um, we're trying to separate and trying to get all the kinks out. The umbrella above us, the organization above the presbytery is helping mediate. So because of that, he came out and he read the presbytery stance on the whole issue. So that's not, that's not the issue. The whole, the whole thing is the whole thing with our separation is still in mediation. And that is the presbytery stance. And they wanted to kind of voice their uh, opinion to us or how they felt. So our November 15th vote that we had is still under mediation. There's no decision yet. But that is what we're trying to hopefully say, please accept. Please accept this vote. Um, And then the Synod is mediating that process. So I hope that's clear. If it's more confusing, then I think I did a good job. No, um, I hope not. And I hope that uh, this will pass for us uh, the I think one of the more, more important things that we've wanted to kind of cover is peace. We wanted a peaceful separation. We wanted to peacefully leave the denomination. We wanted to join another reformed denomination. And all that stuff has up and our... Um, topic for this week is advent this advent week is peace so what is peace in the greek the p the word for peace is a reine a reine but from the hebrew it's shalom and this is a little different from the peace that we understand peace and esther reminded us the last week i did say peace with god and peace of god but the peace that we're talking about, the shalom or the a-reine that we're going to talk about, in modern day language, I think it's easiest to explain as peace of mind. Peace of mind. Do you have peace of mind? But it really means a completeness or a wholeness about you. There's nothing missing. You're complete. You're whole. You can rest when you need to rest. You can work when you need to work. And this is something that escapes many of us. And today in our passage, we heard Jesus himself say, my peace I give to you. It's a peace that the world cannot give. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And so, do we have peace? Do you have peace? And here as a Christian, people, because a lot of us have been Christian for a long time, people respond this way. I have peace, Pastor Eugene. 
I just have holy discontent. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, that's good because you don't have Christianese in your system yet. But I just have holy discontent. I'm just upset with all the things that are going on. I'm angry at this. I'm angry at that. But that's holy discontent. That's not just discontent. Well, let me respond to that. There is a difference between discontent and what people are referring to as holy discontent. Did Jesus have holy discontent? Was he angry and upset about certain things? And the answer is yes. Yes, he was. But what we have to look at in ourselves is if you really want to measure if you have discontent or holy discontent, is what does it lead to? What does your holy discontent lead to? Does it lead to you tightening your own belt? Saying, I need to take this. I need to buckle up tight. I need to strap down. And I need to work. I need to give it my all. Is that what your holy discontent leads to? Or does your discontent lead you to give up? Get angry. Be bitter. Be sour. And start blaming other things. And so you can test if you have holy discontent or you're just discontent and masking it with your own Christianese to see if you have holy discontent with your fruit. And Jesus himself says, you could tell what the tree is by its fruit. Look at its fruit. And so what is our fruit? So some of us, I believe, do have this holy discontent. We want our church to grow. We want our church to grow not only physically, numerically, but spiritually. What does that mean? And what does it mean when people say, what's the vision of the church? What's our vision, Pastor Eugene? What's the vision of the church? Give it to me so that I can follow. I have said this from the very beginning, and I'll say it again. Our vision, our goal, and our aim is to raise disciples of Jesus Christ. That means every time you come into this place, every time we gather, we become closer to Christ. We learn what it means to serve him, and we grow and mature. That means when you go out of this place, what my deep desire would be is you still not just say, I'm a Christian, But you go beyond that, and you know how to worship God in your workplace. You know how to worship God in your schools. You know how to be an example of Christ to your children, to your family members. That's being a disciple of Christ. Holy discontent, if you really have it, is a motivation to action that is tempered by the Holy Spirit. So you can be, I guess, have a good cause. People are very upset about how laws are not being put into place or being put into place with all the things that are going on in this country. But you see, even Moses, listen to me, Moses was motivated by holy discontent. He was. When he saw his fellow brother, fellow Israelite, being harmed by an Egyptian, He was motivated by holy discontent. But what happened? He tried to take care of business in his own way. His own ideas. His own thinking and his own methods. And he failed 
miserably. He sacrificed his credibility with the whole nation because he killed that Egyptian and it followed him. You see, if we are going to be motivated by holy discontent now, then we have to make sure we follow through with the correct method and that is to give it in prayer. That is to gather. That's to worship God when we get together. Why are we here? You know, why are we here? Is it because our parents made us come? Or you like this certain aspect about this service, this worship? Because what happens when that element goes away? What will happen to your faith? Will it dry up? And that would be a shame. How are we supposed to look at our church now? And how are we supposed to look at each other as we look at each other? When I was in business school, they, it, was, it was simple. They taught us a simple process. And now I look at some business texts. It's much more convoluted. There's like eight steps. But, back, but if you really want to simplify these eight steps of uh, product development, it's really just three if you think about it. There are three basic steps. First one is the initialization or the planning. You have to conjure up an idea, right? And the second part is the work in progress. And the third part of product development, you have the execution of the idea or you have the final product. If you understand these things, you know a product development kind of holds. But as a Christian, where are we? We are in the work in progress. We are work in progress. I am work in progress. The clothes don't make me all of a sudden super holy. I have to wear this. Pastor Yang said, wear the robe. I said, yes, sir. So I wore this. But, and then I was trying to do communion for youth, and I was kind of like bumbling, and I clanked the, the tray so hard this morning. I looked up, and everybody's also looking. And I was like, oh, that's embarrassing. But I have to say, I'm a work in progress. You know, just because I put on don this robe doesn't mean all of a sudden I, I kind of, I'm floating on air like about an inch high off the ground. That doesn't make any sense. But we are a work in progress. When you look at each other, do you see that? Do you see that God is working in each and every single one of us and we are a work in progress? That's why Advent, when we were waiting for the second coming of Jesus Christ... We are saying that is the when we become the final product. That's when the execution happens of the idea. And the idea is brilliant because the idea was thought up by God himself. And we are now in the work in progress stage. So when you look at the church, when you look at each other, do you already expect the final product? Or do you see it as God sees us? A work in progress. And does your holy discontent lead you to tighten your belt and work harder, pray harder, serve harder, seek God even more? Saying, God, I run out of energy. I can't do this. I see some of you here, and I've seen what you have sacrificed for our church. But if you do not rely on God to re strengthen you to re-energize you you will be sapped of your strength and what you will be left with is just nothing but dry bones and some of us might be in that stage where we're just dry bones and so that's why god commands 
the preacher to preach to the dry bones. We are to see people through God's eyes. We are a work in progress. So we shouldn't be surprised or even discouraged when the progress might be a little slower than we expected, like this denominational split, or we make mistakes along the way. We take the work of one of my heroes growing up, Dr. Martin Luther King. He's an example. He couldn't stand it anymore. So he wanted to affect change. But you know what? People still today delight in pointing out Dr. King's failures as not just a professional pastor, a pastor, but his failures as a husband and a father. And sure, there were much in King's politics, economics, and personal life that were objectionable. But the same applies to King David. His failures and shortcomings are immortalized in this book. But we shouldn't infer that just because of our moral failings that God excuses it. Rather, we should see and take comfort and receive peace in knowing that in spite of these things, God will still use us and he still uses us today. God used Dr. King to usher in a peaceful revolution that the world looks at, admires, and tries to mimic even today. And we know that from David's line, we have a Savior that was born to us. A Savior that has said to us, and we heard it this morning, my peace I give to you. It's a peace that the world cannot give. And don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. But we are a people that have huge discontent. In Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he says, Jesus says, Beware and be on guard for every form of greed. Because even when you have an abundance, you will not even feel like you have it all. Because life doesn't consist of possessions. Ecclesiastes 1.8 talks about all things are wearisome. I'm just tired. Man is not able to tell it. The eye isn't satisfied with seeing. The ears aren't satisfied with hearing. And we see that taking place today. You know, how amazing does a movie have to be for us to be just like excited to see? I saw Avengers 2 a few months back. And I, I think it was just craziness after craziness. There was so much action, so much going on in the screen. It was like I needed to just take like five cups of coffee to catch every single scene. And it was just so much. But even after that, you can walk out saying, wow, that was crazy, visually amazing. But then are your eyes satisfied? It's like, okay, eyes, I'm good. Let's close it for the rest of my life. You don't say that because the eyes aren't satisfied. There is a deep discontent that we all face. We look at um, <clears throat> San Bernardino. And what happens is we either are faced with hopelessness or we're faced with anger and frustration and it washes over us, perhaps even both. 
somehow it was okay for praying for Paris, but now it's not okay to pray. And now we think measures on gun control and praying are mutually exclusive, and people are just angry even talking about it. I looked up some numbers, and I saw that the U.S. has had more mass shootings. A mass shooting, by the way, is when four or more people are shot. So the U.S. has had more mass shootings than there are days so far this year. There were more mass shootings in the U.S. than there are days so far in 2015. People are so frustrated and angry that the daily news printed out, God isn't fixing this. But to insist to people that we have to act instead of pray is saying that you don't need God. You don't need to submit to his will. You know the right thing. So why should you even Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ, who was perfect in all his ways, knew what to do. And yet he still prayed. He still continually submitted his will to the Father. Aren't we as Christians supposed to follow in the footsteps of Jesus? What we are saying when we pray is we are saying that nothing can be done apart from the relationship with the relationship of knowing the truly good one. The truly good God. No good can come out outside of God. Only God is truly Any declaration of independence without God is then what? We're saying it's idolatry. So even then, even hearing this, people respond by saying, so what do we do? Tell me what to do. I've had young people say, tell me how to vote, right? Uh, tell me what the, <laughs> this is a good one. Tell me what the Bible says about which political party to join. It used to be that political parties were representative of political ideologies. But nowadays, political parties were more representative of value sets and platforms. If you say that you are pro-choice and pro-life, or you say that you're pro-gun or anti-gun, we automatically know what party you're affiliated with. It wasn't like that. And even when you turn on the news, if you watch Fox, we kind of know what political party you are with. If you are with MSNBC, we know what political party you're with. If you are on CNN, then we know that you're confused. So, and then I always get some smart aleck would say, oh, but I watch the BBC, right? And he's like, no. But I got to tell you, it leaks over all our thinking and different aspects of our lives. We have so much information now. We can see so much color, so to speak. And yet, a lot of our thinking is now turning only into black. We can only think in terms of black and white. We can only think in terms of young and old. We can only think in terms of KM versus EM. I got to tell you, that's limiting. And that's actually wrong. God doesn't do that. God shows us what to do in the word. But if you read it and you study it like we're studying, we see 
that there is form, but there is freedom in the word. And we went through Ephesians. It says, wives, respect your husbands. But the Bible doesn't say that you need to cook. It doesn't. Husbands, love your wives as Christ did. But it doesn't say you should buy flowers for your wife. And thank goodness because flowers are a waste of money. Actually, uh, during my ordination, a lot of people gave me flowers. And I appreciate that. So thank you. But wouldn't it be awesome if uh, instead of flowers, you got tubs of protein or something that the person liked, right? Same price, you guys. Flowers are 30 bucks. Protein's 30 bucks. I'm just saying. But you see, the word has some form. But there's freedom in it. So how do you respect your husband? You guys work it out. But you still respect him. How do you love your wife as Christ loved us? You guys work it out. Don't you see that the Bible is relevant for every culture because the, the Bible is super cultural. So we look to the word for guidance on all matters in life. And so let's explore this passage. Where is this coming from? What about peace is Jesus saying? Why all of a sudden would Jesus say peace? The disciples spent three and a half years with Jesus Christ. Imagine spending three and a half half years with the only perfect person to have ever walked this earth Everything he did was perfect. Everything he did blew you away, not just intellectually, but emotionally, even physically. You have literally the ride of your life. And Jesus says, okay, time to go bye-bye. You'd be heartbroken. And Jesus was saying, I got to go soon. But it's good that I go. I'm going to give you an advocate, a helper, the Holy Spirit. He assures them this is a good thing because he needs to send them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then has something to do with the peace that we need, the wholeness, the completeness the disciples were longing for. My grandfather passed away in uh, 2007, and I remember in, during his last days, he would be bedridden, And during his last days, he would call out. He would call out for my grandma. He would say, Amayo, Amayo. And that's how he called for for his wife, for my grandma. And he would always call out for her. And then my grandma would be like, oh, he's calling again. And then she'd go over, right? There is a connection so deep sometimes that I couldn't help but to wonder and to think, this connection also has a lot to do with the supernatural. And that has been realized as we have gone through the book of Ephesians. As we go through the book of Ephesians, we see that even marriage here points to a connection, a deep connection with God. It's a longing and desire that nothing in the world can satisfy. There is a God-shaped abyss-like hole in our heart and can only be filled by God himself. We all want peace and a wholeness, but we're all looking for it in the wrong places. 
our achievements, our accolades, our acclamations cannot fill these holes. Our friends, our families, even our finances cannot fill this hole. No matter what I try materially, no matter how much something means to me, it does not fill this hole. And I even dare say that your spouse only points to a greater degree the need for a relationship with the Savior, that is Jesus Christ. Can we find it in anything else? Can we find shalom in anything else? Can we find completeness in anything else? There is something so special about Jesus Christ that it will either confuse you and you will be just a mystery for the rest of your life or by the grace of God it will be revealed to you and only by the grace of God can it be revealed to you. There was a movie made it's called The Life of Pi, but it was a book first. And did anyone see the movie? Just curious. Did anyone see Life of Pi? So a smattering, like seven? Okay. Did anyone read the book? Okay, like two, three. This is an excerpt from the book. This is when Pi was talking with the priest, Martin. Father Martin, excuse me. And this is what happened. That God should put up with adversity one could understand. The gods of Hinduism faced their fair share of thieves, bullies, kidnappers, and usurpers. What is the Ramayana but the account of one long bad day for Rama? Adversity, yes. Reversals of fortune, yes. Treachery, yes. But humiliation? Death? I couldn't imagine Lord Krishna consenting to be stripped naked, whipped, mocked, dragged through the streets, and to top it off, crucified, and at the hands of mere humans to boot. I'd never heard of a Hindu god dying. Brahman revealed did not go for death. Devils and monsters did, as did mortals, by the thousands and millions. That's what they're there for. Matter too fell away, but divinity should not be blighted by death. It's wrong. The world's soul cannot die, even in one contained part of it. It was wrong for of this Christian God to let his avatar die. This is tantamount to letting a part of himself die. For if the son is to die, it cannot be fake. If God on the cross is God shamming a human tragedy, it turns the passion of Christ into the farce of Christ. So the death of Christ must be real. Father Martin assured me that it was. But once a dead God, always a dead God, even resurrected, the Son must have the taste of death forever in his mouth. The Trinity must be tainted by it. There must be a certain stench at the right hand of God the Father. The horror must be real. Why would God wish that upon himself? Why not leave death to the mortals? Why make dirty what is beautiful, spoil what is perfect? Love. That was Father Martin's answer. Why in the world would a God that is completely whole, not lacking in anything whatsoever, come down to this place 
where we are lacking in everything to every degree and say, I give you my wholeness. I give you my peace. It's love. Because God loves you. This afternoon, I hope that we can remember when Jesus offers us his peace, it was not cheap. When we received the grace of God, it was not cheap. And his love had a cost that baffled the minds, no matter how great it was. But we are offered this peace today in Jesus Christ. Will you receive it? Will you accept it? Knowing that Jesus Christ is offering you himself. Saying, I am with you to the end of the days. Do not be afraid. We can receive it, my brothers and my sisters. Receive it by receiving the Holy Spirit. Pray. Gather. Meet. Seek out the Lord. And He is faithful. He will surely meet you and meet your needs and give you peace. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's take a few moments to pray now. And if there's any kind of discontent in our lives, let's lift it up to the Lord. And let's offer it up to Him. And say, Lord, this is where I am. Accept my heart. And Lord, I want to accept the peace that you offer through your Holy Spirit. Let's pray.